Welcome to Malkir Talks, a Wheel of Time theory podcast. Today is, uh, well, first off, today is slightly late in coming out, but today is also meant to be my second first time reader, uh, sorry, first time theories episode with Null. Uh, we recorded earlier this week to much joy on Discord when people were listening in. Sadly, as seems to be true so far with my uh, OBS slash Discord recordings, we hit some technical snags. And sadly, I had two lines of audio coming in from Noel's voice in Discord, and we had the most tremendous echo going on that I cannot fix to save my life. So this episode will be slightly different because although it will feature Noel's thoughts, it will not feature Noel's voice. Um, I have the recording with me, and uh, basically I will be running through our thoughts and uh, theories and processes and Null's notes, which I will also put into the description um, if possible. I'm not sure if there's enough space in there. So it's quite a lengthy episode. I'm going to cut it into a couple of segments for you. And unfortunately, you only get my voice and not Null's. So yeah, we'll crack straight into it and you can hear all of his thoughts voiced through me. So uh, initially when uh, Nolan sort of joined the chat, we asked him how he'd been and what he'd been up to. And uh, yeah, we just sort of discussed his, his journey and what he'd been doing. And we had a good bit of a giggle, um, basically. So Nolan had sent me his notes. Um, he's up to chapter seven in total. So he managed to send me his notes. And for those who listened to the first time round that we did this, uh, we'd given Null some uh, post-it notes to sort of make notes as he was reading, as he does on the tram, and uh, sort of stick them on the appropriate page. And then he sort of curated more post-it notes, and there were post-it notes for post-it notes, and then he sort of transferred that all into a notebook, which you may or may not have seen on my Twitter account. And uh, it was just getting very time-consuming. And then Null struck on the idea of um, using a dictation um, app to uh, basically type up his notes in digital form just by him speaking. And and that's what he did. And it's made things so much clearer, but we had a good bit of a giggle, but he's put in so much effort trying to get these notes down. He's like, oh my God. So finally we're just dictating them. It, it takes him a lot less speed and he can just send me the document afterwards, which is uh, obviously a lot easier. Um, so he has moved on to that, but we, we definitely had a good bit of a giggle talking about how much time he's putting into reading the book and he's only up to chapter seven. <laughs> it was very entertaining. So we started off discussing uh, where we finished off, which was the end of chapter two, uh, Moraine handing out the coins to the boys. Um, and Noel sort of picked up on the fact that the, the three main boys, um, you know, sort of choose to keep their coins. But uh, Ewan says, oh, what should I do with mine? She gave me a coin as well. And they're like, yeah, spend it, do whatever you like of it type thing. Um, so he sort of picked up on that. Uh, I mistakenly then thought we hopped on to um, Tam and ran leaving to head home to the farm, skipping basically the uh, entirety of chapter three, which you know, was pointed out to me very quickly. Oops, we've missed a bit there. <laughs> so uh, we were discussing uh, the actual what happens next in chapter three. And obviously that is the peddler arriving um, just as the council sort of appear and a large gra large crowd gathers around. Uh, Noel pointed out here that he noticed that uh, Thane tends to, you know, his, his job is not just to turn up with uh, items and trinkets to sell, but, you know, telling news of, of what's happening in stories. And that seems to be a bigger part of, of what he does. And the crowd seem very eager for it. Um, so yeah, that was kind of like where we went next. We, we then sort of went on to discuss how Thane brings up news of the war in Gildan, which uh, Null managed to pronounce correctly, he was quite happy about, and the rising of a new dragon, um, which uh, Null said he wasn't sure 
about whether this was something new, uh, because previously the only mention of a dragon was in the prologue, and now this mention here, um, and he wasn't sure whether you know that is something that's happened since, or it's just like this is the first one since, or, or anything of that sort of nature. So that was quite sort of a few questions raised there for him. This follows on with uh, talk of false dragon, um, and obviously you know people not believing or, or being quite shocked. Uh, the council is at this stage sort of trying to control things, and and they basically sort of drag Thane away to the inn to discuss it further, much to the uh, upset and disdain of the Two Rivers residents. I always viewed this myself as kind of like a, a, a TV show or a news show that you're really into, just kind of being cut short. I mean, a season not finished of a, of a thing, um, you know, because everyone's eager for this news, whether they're shocked by it or intrigued by it, and then suddenly the council's like, nope, we're going to just cut that off there and, and, and take them away to the, uh, the inn and you can't listen anymore. Uh, we sort of went on to discuss, um, even though this is a fairly short part of the chapter, there's a lot of information thrown at you. Um, you know, the war, information about the dragon, how the Two Rivers people react to it, Rand, Matt and Perrin all eager to learn what's going on. Um, that is until none even a Gawain turn up, obviously. Noel pointed out here that this was one of his, uh, his favourite bits of the um, the chapter because Nanive shows up and uh, basically just scolds them for gossiping or something, I suppose. Uh, Noel initially thought they were all the same age and I did point out that Nanive is uh, a bit older um, at the age of 25 and the rest are all sort of 16, 17 type age. But um, yeah, he did find it very amusing that uh, she basically just, you know, turned up and started telling them off for, you know, gossiping and, and things of that nature and it was just what are you doing come on shush tell me now <laughs> which um, i also laughed a bit too of course she kind of continues this when she realizes that the uh council has dragged thane off to sort of debrief him and that and she's like oh what no uh, they won't ask the right questions they won't know what they're doing ah and she sort of storms off to the end to to make sure that the the right questions are asked of thane um at this point Noel points out that uh at this point that Noel points yeah good fun uh at this point, Null says that uh, he noticed obviously Matt and Perrin just kind of like disappear at the same sort of time, and it leaves um, Rand and Egwene, just just the two of them left together. Of course, this is when um, you know Null notices, or, or you know, it comes up in the books that Egwene has her hair braided, uh, and we continue to discuss the the meaning behind this and how it um, braiding your hair is a sign of being considered um, an adult, a woman in the Two Rivers. Um, as opposed to a child that uh, you know needs supervision and you can't make your own choices for things, um, which Rand was not really expecting, um, and obviously discussions of marriage and things ensue. Null had a really interesting question that followed this: Is there a sign or or something that the men do when the boys uh, come of age and are considered men, as opposed to just boys or children? Um, oh, I said that like they're the same, like they're not the same thing. Um, and it was an interesting point. It's not something that I sort of never come across. Um, and after a bit of discussion and debate, we thought that although, you know, they won't be braiding their hair or anything, um, you know, guys usually typically have shorter hair, uh, not always, but generally speaking. And uh, we thought perhaps it might be the way that they are treated by the other men or visitors to the Two Rivers. Um, and we had the good point of uh, Rand feeling that because he was eager to speak or see the peddler, um, because the previous year the peddler had come, and we couldn't remember if he'd uh, spoken to him like a man, or just treated him, or like asked him to do something like a man as opposed to a boy, um, and it just, it made a difference in um, 
you know how Rand felt about things. So, you know, we decided that that was the the, the manner in which um, a, a, a young boy is considered a man in the Two Rivers, rather than some sort of um, alteration to their physical appearance to to signify the same thing like the the females uh, the ladies do with their braids. So yeah. This also uh, then sort of expanded onto a, a conversation about Egwene's desire to see the rest of the world and, and sort of Rand being stumped or confused by that. And I asked Nala, I said, well, do you think, uh, you know, what, what, what comes to your mind when you try and think of reasons why Rand would be surprised or stumped by that statement or that outlook? And we discussed that the Two Rivers kind of has this mentality of like people don't leave like this is this is the two rivers and everything outside of it is is the outside world and you know we get some visitors you know merchants uh, peddlers things of that nature but that's about it um and yeah we sort of like reach the end of the chapter there um Noel's main thoughts about the the chapter um so we went through he's, he's got a few points here um firstly that Perrin tells um tells them that he's seen the mysterious rider and obviously we, we learn that Matt has as well. So um, if, if they've seen it, how many others have seen it? And if no one, why is it just those three? Um, and I asked Nal to sort of expand on this point for me as well, if he could. So upon expansion, upon expansion of his points, it, it very much felt like it was just these three boys seeing this mysterious rider um, and that, you know, no one kind of believed that it was happening. Um, and you know, that they were just sort of being singled out for it. Um, and yeah, it just, uh, it, it very much confused Null. It uh, gave him a lot of questions um, about what was happening and, and you know, the whys. The, the usual stumping that I think most of us felt at this stage. We had a nice fun moment after this um, where Null said, it kind of just fed into his uh, theory that uh, Rand is the hero of the story and um, that in relation to Tam, Tam was the sort of hero of old and uh, Rand was the the next hero to kind of like take his spot, so to speak. Um, and it was very entertaining to, to hear him say, it's like, I said this in the first recording type of thing and I was like, you've heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Tam was the hero of old and Rand is the new hero to replace him, um, which I, I just thought was really fun. Um, but yeah, Null is, is very adamant that uh, Rand is the hero, the main hero of the story. The next point that uh, Null had written down was discussing the, the dragon or the false dragon that's come forward in the war beginning. Um, and he had a really interesting thought process here, where is um, Nynaeve's inability to read the wind properly, uh, which is obviously mentioned, is that linked to the dragon coming again? Um, and this was a really sort of interesting link for me. It's not something I'd ever considered on any of my rereads. Um, and I've, I've done many of them. I must have read Eye of the World probably close on 20 times. And, you know, I'd never once linked the appearance of a dragon with Nynaeve's inability to read the wind. And uh, I actually complimented him on this thought process without trying to give too much away um, to, to story or, you know, irrelevance of anything. Uh, tried to stay very neutral where possible. Um, but yeah, really interesting thought process. Um, and it's just, it's something that popped into his head that those two were, were connected in some way. Uh, the next point that Null has uh, got written down is, um, has there actually been a, a dragon around since Luz 
Theron, um, and I, I made a bit of a jab here. Uh, it was quite fun. He sort of kicked me back for it. I said, uh, sorry, Zul. It actually says here's, he's written Lewis. I do apologize. That's usually my mistake on the mispronunciation. And then uh, Noel very quickly was like, I did not type that. I dictated it, and it just auto-corrected. <laughs> it's just like, I teased him a little bit about that. Um, but yeah, has there, has there been a dragon around since Luz? Um, and, and then I asked him, because he's got a note here, is the dragon, is it good? Is it bad? Obviously, people are disputing that. And uh, I actually said to him, I was like, where do you fall on the dragon? What is your, uh, your, your gut reaction? And he wanted to sit on the fence, but I wouldn't let him. I made him, you know, go with, with, with a call. And uh, he gave me the following answer. He gave me the prediction that the dragon is good. Um, he said, obviously, you know, you, you see Luz and his intentions, his actions were initially good until... You know, he went a bit crazy and, um, you know, then obviously his actions changed slightly. Obviously, the actions were loose after he'd gone crazy, but, you know, there weren't his intentions, what he meant to do. Um, and people's reactions to that made, you know, gave that um, idea that the dragon might be bad. So, um, yeah, yeah, Null kind of fell on the idea that the dragon is good. Um, although he did want to sit slightly on the fence about it, but I wouldn't let him. <laughs> we had a, a, a sort of a fun follower point here where um, Null raised a lot of questions about the Aes Sedai or, or, you know, everything about them raised a lot of questions in general. Um, and I, I asked him to be like, well, what is your gut reaction? Are the, you know, the Aes Sedai good or bad? Uh, because he was saying, well, you know, I was thinking the dragon's good and, and you know, they're sent out to destroy the dragon in, in, in some ways. Um, so my gut reaction is they're bad and uh, I was like oh this is a very interesting hot take and uh, obviously then we chatted a bit more about uh, his following points and yeah he sort of he really really wanted to sit on the fence on this one like his initial thoughts were that they were bad um, but that all sort of came from a lack of information um, you know, that the books give you at that stage. Um, but, uh, you know, he felt that they might be working for the dark side, as he put it. We then had a, a one last point discussed about chapter three, and that was around sort of a Gawain of Rand. And uh, Null asked me the question, uh, does becoming a wisdom mean that you cannot become married uh, or can't get married? Um, and I said, like, there was nothing really I'd, I'd read or thought about that uh, said they can't get married. Um, but more of a case of that, you know, they tend not to get married. You know, it's not something they, generally speaking, do. You know, uh, Null pointed out, Egwene, you know, the way she viewed it or the way she was talking about it gave you the same, you know, the, the idea that perhaps, um, you know, marriage was not really going to happen because of that. So that's sort of a, a summary of uh, Null's thoughts over Chapter 3. And uh, then we sort of moved on to, to chapter four. Um, and I went through sort of his sort of summary of the, the chapter there instead of uh, not doing it this time. So he's got, uh, obviously, the man exiting the inn is the Gleven. Uh, obviously, we're talking about Tom there. And he seems very in, uninterested in the news of war. Um, a small crowd begins to gather as the Gleven um, and Rand and others start to talk. And the Gleeman sort of shows off a little bit for the crowd, but only after making sure that enough people have gathered. Uh, Moraine appears, and the Gleeman cuts off nice and fast. Like, there's, 
it was quite quite a sudden thing. And after an awkward exchange, Moraine and Lan leave, and Tom dashes off towards the inn. Council have come out the inn by this point, um, and Tam tells the group that he doesn't think anything is going to happen in the two rivers, and Sister Rand that we need to head home. Uh, Tam heads off to the stables to collect the horse, and when Rand catches up with him, Tom is speaking to the two stable hands. Sorry, Tam is speaking to the two stable hands. Uh, brings the horse over and they leave, and on the way back, Tam tells uh, Rand what they've decided about the dark figure, and also explains why they've headed back to the farm. So, um, going through these points, initially I asked uh, Null uh, basically about Tom, what, what his thoughts were, and Null said he, he really, really enjoyed um, this first bit, because, you know, uh, Tom getting kicked out of the inn, uh, it just sort of made him chuckle, um, and he, you know, he's quite a quirky character anyway, Null said, and uh, yeah, he's come down to, you know, sit in front of the fire, have a smoke, whatever, a bit of a drink, and then suddenly all these men have barged in and be like, get out, get out of the inn, he's like, where else am I meant to be, what's going on, um, and it just sort of made Null chuckle quite a bit, which uh, also made me laugh too. Null also quite rightly picked up here that uh, Tom was only going to perform after he'd, you know, gathered enough people, um, you know, because as Null rightly said, you know, he's quite proud of his skills and he's not going to um, perform if there's not enough people to sort of make it worth his while or skill, I suppose you might say. Um, and I was really glad he picked up on that and made um, sort of a point of that in his notes um, because... You know, I think it's an important part of his character. And as Noel said, he is a showman, a performer. You know, that's what he's all about. That's what he wants to do. Um, so, you know, and that's obviously very clear in the writing, you know, very, very obvious in the writing straight away. Um, we then sort of followed on to his uh, notation about Moraine and, um, you know, the, the whole situation that occurs there. And uh, Null used the words that uh, Moraine has kind of a presence um, and that people are sort of unsure or, you know, not really not really totally at ease around her. Um, you know, like, it's almost like people know where she's from and they're cautious of her type thing. Um, and then I delved in with Null a little bit more about the particular exchange between... Um, Moraine and Tom I said you know was there anything specific he meant when he said awkward exchange or whether it was just everything particular about any whether it was just everything about the exchange in general and he said to me that there you know there was a couple of things that sort of popped into his mind she refers to him as a bard um, which Tom is he he introduces himself as an ex-bard but that's at another point and that's not something that Moraine was there to hear. So it, it definitely sort of implies that she knows something about him. Um, and that's kind of where, you know, that was the main awkward bit there um, that Null had picked up on. Certainly before he sort of then ducks away into the inn, for example, and <laughs> be like, I need to get out of here. Then we had a, a fun little thing pick up here. Um, Null said to me, he's like, I'm surprised that, you know, people hang around because... People just keep sort of appearing and disappearing and appearing and disappearing. And, um, you know, people just kind of have that free time to just sort of turn up to random things. So I said to him, I was like, what does that mean about the village? Like, you know, how do they have all these, um, you know, this time to do things? And <laughs> not said to me, he's like, do you know what? I hadn't really considered that until you asked me. And to be fair, it was something that hadn't occurred to me until we started that conversation. And he said... I think it's got to do with like, oh, it's winter night. 
um, you know, there's bell time tomorrow. It's things like that. It's almost like a like a party atmosphere, and um, you know, people are just kind of, you know, there's things to do. There's always jobs. Um, you know, there's there's always tasks that need to be completed. But uh, it's tomorrow's bell time. Do I really want to go? You know, stack that hay, or you know, uh, do whatever that job might be, chop that wood, things like that. Um, you know, just. Because tomorrow's a day off, almost. <laughs> and then I, I sort of equated it to, you know, um, Nala and I are chefs. And I said, oh, it must be like what regular people who have a, you know, Monday to Friday, nine to five feel about Friday if they've got a party on the Saturday. It's like, oh, tomorrow's a big day. It's the weekend. I, I just don't want to do any work. It's Friday night. And uh, we had a nice little chuckle about that because uh, that's not our weekend, unfortunately. <laughs> then uh, we discussed the conversation between Tam and Rand on the way back and how Tam sort of, um, you know, tells Rand, it's like, OK, this is what we're doing with... You know, we're going to try and catch this uh, this strange rider, whatever he may be up to and such. Um, and I asked Null, you know, how he, he felt about this conversation. And Null absolutely loved it. He was like, this is perfect. It was, it was like a mo perfect movie scene in my head type thing. And all the trust that Rand had his, has in his father um, and, you know, the, the just the desire to, you know, be like, you know, come on, Dad, help me out here, what's going on, was totally validated. I mean, not that it shouldn't be trust between a father and son, but, um, you know, this was just a perfect moment. The writing was so well done that, uh, you know, it catches you a little bit by surprise, but in a great way, um, you know. And then we just sort of rolled on to uh, Noel's sort of thoughts of the, the chapter in general. So the first sort of uh, thought he had process about the, the chapter was kind of like the ice I think we've covered already. Uh, are they good? They're bad. People don't want them knocking on the door, but they're protected against the evil of the dragon. But we've already... And then said, but we had this conversation. You think the dragon is good? So again, we reference that back to the actions, the unintended actions or consequences from the dragon. Um, that sort of thing. Uh, we talked about uh, Tom not liking Thane, which is quite obvious. Um, you know, it describes him as more raven than man. Um, and questions here, you know, Noel's put, does, do they know each other type of thing? Um, and I don't think we do, more. Well, more they might have known of each other, I suppose, type of thing. Uh, a nice little bit here that Noel went across. <laughs> um, Tom asked Egwene to be his assistant. Now, initially I found this interaction a little creepy. I thought he came across a bit strange when he suddenly realised he was in the presence of someone pretty. And Rob assures me that Tom is a great guy. Uh, if that's a spoiler, I do apologise. Um, I said so live as well, but yeah, I think... Tom was just uh, doing the whole, like, oh, I'd like a glamorous assistant, I think, and wasn't trying to be creepy about it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I suppose if you don't really, if you sit there and analyse it a bit, it could just be like, oh, you're very pretty. Would you like to be my assistant? It does have a slight creepy tone to it, but uh, obviously that was not the intention. That's not Tom's character. Uh, we've got into a lot more questioning about Tom and Moraine's story. Uh, I say how she called him Bard, does she know his past, and how he basically freaks out at her presence. Um, Nynaeve dismissing the idea of a dragon, um, telling Randolph for talking about it and uh, sort of dashing off to, to the inn and such that we've, we've discussed. It, uh, the, the discussion kind of went on to, um, you know, Noel was talking about how everyone seems to know each other or these strangers or they have an idea about each other. And he's like, why? What's going on? Like, what have you done to me? Robert Jordan, what are you doing? Um, and we came up with the analogy that 
Robert Jordan is kind of like being like, here's the answer, but it's behind like fog glass or something. And you see like a rough shape, but you've got no definition going on. And uh, it was basically driving Null a little bit mad. But, um, you know, in a really good way, you know, he didn't mind it at all. In the end, though, we decided that um, Tom doesn't know Thane. It's more of a case of Tom isn't interested in like gossip from other places. You know, he's like, I'm a performer, I'm a bard, I just kind of want to do my thing. Um, you know, I'm not really interested in the gossip and the, um, you know, and, and things of that nature. Um, I I pointed out perhaps, you know, with Thane being a storyteller, that um, maybe, you know, uh, there's a bit of a clash because that's um, it's kind of Tom's domain, storytelling entertaining but uh yeah that was kind of um you know where we sort of finished on the point of those two following on from this we kind of had a, a bit of a discussion about lan um and firstly we covered the um the fundal chat so we before we did the live recording in the discord server um we actually did like a test run uh, Noel got his mic out, uh, just his headset mic from his PlayStation, just to test if it worked and we got a decent enough signal in the Discord server because previously Noel and I have just recorded, uh, I put him on the phone as a phone call and um, obviously that's not as much fun um, and if we did that it would just be a single line going into Discord but it, it's a bit more reliable for recording in terms of not losing the voice but uh, Anyway, that aside, we were in there, myself, Null, there was Zool, for those of you who know her from the community, and Vance, one of the Gleeman. And uh, we were just doing some test runs and, you know, I was checking recording levels and such. Uh, obviously, I didn't check properly because that's why we're doing this. And um, we got onto the subject of how you pronounce land because it was, there was a, a, a you know, in the, um, the TV show news there was well we've we've tweaked it how we say it. it's not it's not lan it's lawn and they were saying it like l-a-w-n like mowing your lawn but we've had a discussion and we've decided that's not quite what they mean it's not lawn as it, it's you say it with a posh accent like it's lawn darling lawn and then one is going to have a cup of tea lawn you have your little pinky stuck out when you have a cup of tea lawn lawn could you ever do this for me lawn could you do that and uh, it was very insane when we talked about it and uh, the people in the chat when we recorded live we were also having a bit of a giggle about it so uh, hopefully that's how it comes out just lan darling could you do it just naive lan lan uh, i just think it's going to be quite funny um as opposed to lawn uh, but if they go with lawn i'm calling him lan um you know to each their own but uh, after that obviously that led to a discussion about lan um and his character in general and uh, Null was was very much like he's just kind of he's there as a protector. He never used the word bodyguard, which I kind of expected him to. Um, but she's there as a protect. She's there. He's there as a protector, uh, and he's always just kind of hidden away in the background. He's always just a few sort of steps away, you know, sort of not there in your face, but is there ready to sort of step in if needed type thing. Um, and I thought that was a very good description of Lan at this point. Uh, in the books that, you know, he's not doing much really, but he's there, he has a commanding presence and, um, you know, he, you do notice him as much as you don't notice him, you, you do know he's there as well type of thing. So, uh, yeah, now I've got a good grasp of uh, the presence of Lan so far. The last couple of points uh, we discussed um, was Nynaeve kind of dismissing the idea of the dragon. 
Um, we did that in a little bit more detail um, where everyone else seemed quite interested. Like, oh, what's going on? And Nine Eve was very much dismissive. Um, but uh, we, on that point, we kind of, it, it became more in about how Nynaeve behaves because everyone seems to think of her as, oh, she's quite young. And uh, even Moraine said, oh, you have very young wisdom in that. And it seems to sort of upset Nynaeve a bit. Um, and I pointed out, obviously, that Nullard thought that uh, Nynaeve was the same age as the others when, in fact, she's sort of seven, eight years older at the age of 25. Um, so, you know, it's it's quite got to be quite difficult for her in that position to, you know, position of power in the in the village to then be sort of treated with a little bit like, mm, are you old enough to do this really? Um, and, you know, people don't take it seriously. Um, and this also kind of stemmed from her trying to tell Bran that, uh, you know, you shouldn't be worried about some false dragon somewhere, that uh, you should be more worried about Moraine and Lan and sort of thing. Uh, we finished off with uh, this nice fun question of, did Rand seriously contemplate marriage to stop Egwene from leaving the two rivers? Which was uh, just sort of a fun bit of a chuckle. Um, and I don't think Rand would have gone for it personally. And yeah, sort of, Noel just sort of put in there because it was like, yeah, you know, people don't leave. So he's obviously just being concerned and like, how can I make a stay type thing? But yeah, not the right reason to suggest marriage. Um, most definitely not you know let's let's go for love people and uh, <laughs> and then also a fun little thought or sort of a pondering about uh, when he's in the stable tam is giving orders to who and tad and he's put down what was said and so i asked him was like any idea what you thought might have been said and he's like i feel like i've overthought this one when i've put it down um like i'm just looking for stuff at this stage so he's like i probably think nothing more was really said um i think i was just kind of like you know looking for something at this stage um, when I wrote that note. So I was like, okay, fine. And we'll kind of just tie up the chapter there. So it's on to chapter five now, and Null's notes are just, they start to get really hilarious here. They also, this is where the podcast really started to stretch out. So in the actual recording, it took us about 50 minutes to get to this stage if you take out a couple of the sound errors and things that we had where people had to drop out and come back in and obviously at this time of recording and i've rambled a bit here that we're about half an hour so i really have missed out a lot i do apologize um but there was no way i could get null back in and try and remember everything we said and try and record it all again because we were at it for almost two and a half hours in total it was uh, two hours and 20 minutes and i just thought we can't repeat that it's not going to work so i do apologize i am doing summaries here but um yeah his notes here they just start brilliantly he's put chapter five aka holy shit <laughs> and i do remember when null texted me about this he was on his way home from work and um he was reading on the tram as he does that's how he reads and I just got this message where he'd been like tinking along in chapter three, chapter four, and then he gets to chapter five and it was just obviously shit goes down. <laughs> He's like, oh my God, Rob, like this and this. And I was like, oh, did it, did it pick up a little bit by chance? And he's like, yeah, just a fucking little bit. <laughs> so again, I'm going to run for his notes. And uh, unfortunately, this is where the recording gets wildly echoey. And, uh, you know, to say it's reverb, it's like he was yelling at me in a giant cathedral at this stage. Thanks to the double voice line uh, from OBS. Yay. Um, but I'll go for his notes and I will do my best to remember what Null was saying at the times. Uh, so we've got Tam around get back to the farm. And Tam very cautiously and carefully works his way around the edges, slowly moving and checking for signs that someone's been there. Um, and once he's satisfied, they sort of begin to tend to the hundreds of jobs that, you know, tend to build up on a farm. 
and we discussed um you know how he was you know checking everything out and he even sort of pulled up some water from the well and tasted it and that suggested to null that uh, tam had been somewhere where wells had been poisoned as part of warfare or something of the such nature um but uh, you know it was it was sort of it, it was quite interesting to how how detailed he was type thing um and and then it quickly very very quickly jumps into you know the action that happens in chapter five and you're like oh fucking hell um but we did talk about some of the actions that go on because Noah's was like oh i didn't put any of those those jobs in there so we talk about you know starting the the dinner and you know tam goes off and, and starts hoeing fields and uh rand is is chopping wood and it was like a like a very much a, a meditation chopping is what i believe the phrase we used because rand just kind of gets in the zone it's like chop wood, chop you know chop move chop move and it became very meditative and and you know almost zen like type thing which uh, you know i i enjoyed that conversation and that image um we also discussed the fact that the both men keep weapons around with them um Tam keeps like a, a squad of staff nearby. I think it is. Uh, we struggled to find the weapon at the time, but I believe if I remember correctly now, it was his quarter staff nearby. Um, and Rand's got his bow and arrow near to him. Um, so even though things are, you know, quote, normal at the farm, they've still, you know, on edge ever so slightly. Um, but we get into, you know, early evening and, um, you know, we're, we're, you know, dinner's almost ready. Um, and then Tam does a couple of things that really, you know, Rand finds very unusual. And, uh, you know, Null was the same, you know. So first off, he is locking the doors. And we discussed how, you know, locking the doors uh, being a weird thing for Rand obviously signifies that the the village and the two rivers in general is, so obviously it's an, an idyllic place in some ways. You know, um, it, it's very much like when I was a kid, you know, and, and Null's the same. We're, we're a very similar age. You know, remembering that, you know, you lived in, in little villages and stuff and you knew everybody and you didn't really, you know, you could pop out and knock, lock your door. You could leave your back door open. You know, things of that sort of nature. It wasn't, you know, it just wasn't the same. And nowadays you couldn't do that because, oh my God, you know, fear of getting robbed and things left, right and centre. Um, and so, you know, we, we very much both sort of identified with that aspect and then how weird it would be like to get home in in, in our lives at that stage and be like oh we, we have to lock the back door because you know something's afoot um you know so we both discussed that and then obviously ran goes up oh sorry tam goes upstairs and uh, sort of digs out the the big chest that under his under his bed he comes down wearing a sword which is highly unusual. I mean, Rand doesn't even know his father owns a sword, let alone one that's so ornate. Um, Null points out here that Rand is aware of the trunk under the bed and that it's almost never, you know, pulled out from under the bed and, and anything done with it, um, but is unaware of its contents. So again, you know, Rand knows his father has a secret trunk that uh, he hides things in, I suppose you could say, um, which was, was quite interesting. Um, and he thinks the sword is very special. Um, because why does Tam have such an ornate weapon? If Tam had been just a regular fighter, it wouldn't have been etched with a heron. It, you know, the, it, it wouldn't be such an ornate weapon. It's very different from what the guards carry. Uh, you know, a very, very special single-sided blade, uh, heron on the black scabbard and on the blade. So he kind of thinks, mm, perhaps Tam is royalty of some kind or, you know, worked for royalty, something of that sort of nature. 
Uh, but then note sort of like we hop into the action now, so to speak. So um, Tam is about to start serving supper and a bang on the door and sort of disturbs them. And pff, in comes a trollic smashing through the door. Um, and no love the fact that Rand didn't even react in terms of like, ah, didn't think. He just was like, right, OK, I've got this boiling hot kettle of water in my hands and he just threw it straight at the trollocs that are coming through and scolds and burns them um and it really to null it spoke of uh of rand's character that in that uh, fight or flight moment he chose to just react and react with action type of thing um and obviously tam then whips out his sword and starts cutting them down and it's like tam tam yells to Rand, run out the back run out the back type of thing you know and, and and shit just starts to go sideways a bit um, obviously, as uh, Rand runs to the back, he finds that, uh, you know, the, the back door is locked. What do you do? Like, oh, no, because Tam's locked the door, something that never happens. Um, but he manages to sort of squiggle his way out of a window instead. Um, and after a very exciting moment with a hoe handle... <laughs> <laughs> and we had great discussion here because I was like, oh yeah, this is the point where Rand fights a hoe. And like, wow, without context, that sounds so bad. <laughs> like, Rand is fighting a hoe. This is like, what is going on? Uh, but what it is, is, he's wandered around the house in his frightened state. He has um, basically just tripped over a hoe that's resting up and is uh, instantly thought he's being attacked by some monster i mean i would probably feel the same and and no like this is this is just hilarious to listen to uh, to to read and uh yeah it is a very funny moment but uh yeah he collects that and um sort of uh, runs around to the front of the house to to sort of see what's going on with his father and uh, he sees his father just sort of like leap out of a window which was like wow okay I mean, Tam doesn't come across as an old man, but uh, yeah, very impressive. Just sort of bash out the window type thing. Um, probably too many trollocs in the doorway. And uh, decides to run around the back of the house, as Noel pointed out quite rightly, because that's where he thinks Rand last was. So Rand's like, no, Dad, I'm here type thing. And uh, we sort of chatted a bit because he thought that uh, uh, Tam continued to like off, run off hide in the forest and, and continue to run around to the back. Uh, oh no, they continue to run off in the forest together. But I said no. I think Tam runs off in the opposite direction, implying that um, uh, Rand was ahead of him to lead the Trollocs away from Rand himself. Um, so yeah, so Rand sort of dashes off to the forest and, and it's like, "What the hell is going on?" Type thing. Eventually, Tam catches up with him and uh, sort of scares the shit out of Rand, putting his uh, hand over his mouth. And you think, "Oh my god, I forgot how big you were." <laughs> <laughs> which um you know both Nell and I chuckled at as again a little bit of humor in these scary moments um which was you know it was always a great touch um because it's uh you know it can just be very horrific and and very scary so you know sometimes the humor is needed and it, it makes a bit of a difference um but yeah Tam's turned up and we discover he's been injured um Moran's like right I need to get some supplies before we head back so he dashes off to the farm um to to sort of see what he can find he gets a few bits from the house not much can be used um and uh whilst there he encounters a truck who has pretended to be dead narg smart and um yeah i asked i asked nala what do you think about this trollop that's talking and he's like this is very strange like it's clearly clearly not meant to be talking it's you know it's not not uh you know something that's meant to be using english on a, on a regular basis 
but um yeah to to sort of set a trap like that is just like wow and uh, i said what do you think about the fact you know how ran managed to kill him and he's like well you know it's definitely a lot of luck going on there um you know but again good instincts as opposed to just like turning and running type thing and, and that speaks to ran's character no was saying um but yeah manages to kill narg uh, for those of you who love narg um yeah narg survived he's my sous chef um for those who are familiar with my channel uh, my youtube channel that is um but yeah he collects his supplies dashes off to the barn and uh turns the cart into like a, a litter or stretcher type thing and dashes back to his father uh the main thoughts i mean obviously there are a lot of thoughts about this chapter um but like how idyllic this uh, opening scene was how peaceful it was um we discussed the doors um we've already gone through the sword um again we we sort of bounce back and forth on these notes in the chapter summary sometimes i i i bounce them in um but the the whole the whole sword thing the heron mark blade and that it really got null thinking so which you know he was very sort of questionable like what is tam's history you know i was like well do you think he's royalty you've written royalty here and like, i'm not sure He's very much on the fence for that one um, but he's pretty certain that Rand's mother was an outsider and that's what gives him great eyes um, but was Tam originally from the two rivers did he spend a lot of time traveling was it just his mother who's an outsider um, and no really didn't have any sort of he wasn't sure whether Tam was an outsider as well as Kari Rand's mother um, but uh, you know we're just going to well, we'll make a decision later on, I feel, on that one myself. Uh, he then obviously heard a new word, uh, Thade, uh, Merdral, and he's like, so what is this? What is that? And I said, unfortunately, I can't tell you a single thing because it will just give you spoilers. Like, yeah, I can only tell you what's in the book so far. Dark person on a horse, you know, dark stranger. That's, you know, dressed in black. That's, that's it, you know. <laughs> um, and a fun point here, for those of you who listened to the first episode with Nell, in the first episode, he gave Moraine the title of quest giver, that she would be the one to say, Rand, you must go on this quest. Um, and he's put a note here that Moraine may not be the quest giver because Rand just seems to have been dropped in the middle of the ship. Um, which, yeah, again, a nice bit of a chuckle. And then I will mention um, this sort of little checklist he's got here. So he's decided to describe the Trollocs uh, because Trollocs are pretty too. Um, and he's got 10 things to describe why Trollocs are pretty. Uh, number one, they have curled ram's horns. Uh, you know, very nice if you're into horny things. Uh, a nice uh, hairy muzzle, uh, or, you know, so the mouth or nose is a nice hairy muzzle. Uh, they can have feathers, they can have fur, they might have other horns to curled ram's horns. They might have a wolf's muzzle, uh, nice sunken eyes, hairy pointed ears. I mean, who doesn't love hairy pointed ears? Sharp goat hooves and nice stained teeth that are very long and sharp, you know, so... Oh, what pretty Trollocs. I mean, who wouldn't love a Trolloc like that? <laughs> but yeah, he's highlighted the title in green. And it just made me chuckle when I read the notes. And he has noted, obviously, that the, uh, quote, sneaky Trolloc is Narg. Uh, so yeah, that was kind of uh, chapter five there. Bit of a holy shit chapter. Um, but yeah, you know, that's uh, that's the, the bits there. Um, so I'm going to cut it there. Um, and I'm going to then go through chapters six and seven in part two of this because I thought I'd break it down to two more manageable chunks 
uh, as opposed to the two hour 20 minute original recording. So yes, come back for part two very soon. Bye guys. <laughs>